This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, everyone. Jim Meggs here. We really want to thank all of you for supporting our podcast, and we've gotten really great response. And I have a request, which is, if you're enjoying the podcast, go to iTunes, Leave a review. Give us a rating. Every podcast really lives or dies by these ratings and reviews. So if you believe in what we're doing, it would really mean a lot to us if you can support us. Put your stars where your heart is. It's all about keeping your cool and looking for the long term and keeping your eye on the bigger picture. No investor is right 100% of the time. And if they tell you that they are, they're lying. What if we had a show about solutions? Not the same old left versus right. I am right. I'm right. And you are wrong. You're wrong. Boring. <laughs> yeah, something new. Yeah, something new. How to make the world a better place. Yeah. How, How do, do we, we fix, fix it? it? How do we fix it? So, Jim, today's guest wants to take the fear out of investing. Well, you know, the news media covers Wall Street like it's some kind of big game. Yeah, Dow up 500 points or Dow crashes. You know, when we talk about the stock market, like it's really complex and inscrutable. And I think in a lot of ways, it just makes it harder for people to make sensible long-term plans. But 55% of us, 55% of American adults have money in the stock market. So this just isn't an issue for a few select No, few. no, no. It matters for everybody. So, okay, so here's the question. How, How do, do we, we fix, fix it? it? I'm Richard Davies. <laughs> and I'm Jim Meggs. Susan Schmidt says understanding the basics of investments is much easier than people think. She's here to demystify, she's here to demystify money. And, and demystify both. <laughs> Susan is Senior Portfolio Manager at Westwood Holdings and joins us via Skype from Dallas. Susan, we're glad you're with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You say the media fans the flames of fear about investing. What do you mean? Well, I really do believe that the media is out there hyping the activity in the market. And while that's the media's job, they're focusing on what's happening during the day, Investing is really about focusing on the long term. When you hear about the ups and downs of the day, you can't help but get emotionally involved. It's up, it's down. What does that mean? What does that mean for my savings, right? Savings are something you care about, so you're going to pay attention. And instead, to really have the best investment portfolio over the long term, you need to be thinking about the long term. And so the day-to-day -day hype from the media tends to raise people's fears and concerns, and it doesn't do a whole lot for enhancing that big-picture, long-term idea of investing. 
you know, Susan, as a long-term member of the media, I have to agree that the media often, you know, hypes conflict and, and drama. But sometimes it's also the major players in the market. I'm looking at a headline in, on Business Insider. Uh, it says, Carl Icahn warns the red-hot stock market is being supported by an unsustainable earnings mirage. And he's got a video out called Danger Ahead. So, you know, what do you think about when these guys come out with these kinds of statements? Well, I think actually when you said it right there, Carl Icahn has his own video. Carl Icahn has very much become a media figure. In many ways, that's you know, his second job behind investing. And you have to realize that we have some very large figures and some very large egos in the investment world. And they like to be in the headlines. They like to be out there front and center talking about things. And I think also they too realize that the more dramatic they can make it sound, the more people are going to pay attention. When we talk about an 80-point drop in the Dow, that sounds like a big number. 80 is a big number. It's not 10. It's not 5. In reality, today, that's less than half a percent. But but you say that that drama, that excitement, and after all, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a journalist. I know that, you know, a good story is what gets me attention as a reporter and, and gets me on the air. Um, that drama and that excitement, the way that Wall Street is covered, you think is, is very much against the interests of savers and investors, right? I do think it's counter to the dynamic that a good saver or a good investor has because it's focusing on the short term and good savers, good investors should really be focused on the long term. So it's important that they remember that this is just day-to-day noise and really to be the best long-term investor, you need to step back from the noise and make sure you're seeing the bigger picture. You've got that poker playing analogy, right? I do. Remember that as an individual investor saving perhaps picking stocks on your own for your own account, you're a retail investor. You're up against guys who are the institutional investors, the professionals. And so when they are buying and selling, you're on the other side of that trade. And so I always say that it's like the old poker analogy. When you're at the poker table and you don't know who the chump is, it's you. (laughs) So the same thing holds true for stocks. Remember that while you're in and in the market, as so are the professionals who are doing it 24-7. And so it really does pay to pay attention and do some homework and recognize that sometimes you're just lucky, not really smart. So just stay in it for the long term. Be the cool customer rather than jumping the- in and out because of panic. Exactly. Be the cool customer. Don't fall prey to emotion because that's what they're waiting for. That's their opportunity. If you panic and sell, that's a great opportunity for them. If you get super hungry for an idea and say, this is great, this must be fantastic, that's a great opportunity for them to sell to you. Um, it's, It's all about keeping your cool and looking for the long term and keeping your eye on the bigger picture. Well, we're going to be dealing with solutions a little bit later, but let's look at one of the fundamentals that I know you wanted to raise, which is the difference between trading and investing. Investing is buying into a company, understanding what that company does, and expecting to own it for the long term. So our society has moved towards short-term investing and a large faction of the market is engaged in short-term 
investing. In short-term investing, the shorter the term, it really becomes like trading. And so trading in many ways is I'll buy it now, I'm going to sell it in 10 minutes, and I'm going to try to arbitrage what happens in between. That's not owning a company. And it's a totally different mindset. The investor who falls into that, I'm going to buy it now and see if it goes up and sell it in 10 minutes, Trading for them is really, in many ways, a form of gambling. So you're making a distinction between the um, the individual investor and who certainly probably has no business trying to get involved in short-term trades of stocks. But on the institutional level, there's a lot of this. Is that having an effect on the market? I mean, is that a net good or, or a net negative for uh, for the economy, for the stock market as a whole? I think that it has changed the stock market. So, yes, Within the institutional world, there has been a tremendous growth in high-frequency trading, short-term trading, and we've seen that effect on the market. And when everybody wants to sell, everybody sells. When they all want to buy, they're all rushing. So the movements are, are more extreme, both up and down. Is Wall Street just a big, giant casino? Because that's the way it's portrayed. I mean, make the case for why we should put our retirement savings into the stock market when it seems as if it's so crazy? Well, the stock market does seem crazy when you look at it on a short-term basis, and that's the problem. But if you step back and look at it over a multi-year period, you can see that the market trend is up. And over time, when you take that larger time frame, that progression smooths out. The volatility does not become as noticeable, and it becomes a better place to put your money versus, say, a bank account, which right now is earning no interest for you. I think Wall Street does serve a purpose, but you have to understand that you got a lot of different parties with a lot of different interests all working in the same market. Now, the conventional wisdom has always been you should be heavily in stocks when you're younger and you can afford more risk and you take a very long-term perspective. But then as you get a little older, start shifting your portfolio and have safer but theoretically lower-performing assets like bonds in there. And as, as you enter your retirement years, you should be leaning towards the safer investments. Is that still true? Is that still advice that you give your clients? I think it is still true that that's the convention. And you want to move towards lower risk investments when you feel that you're going to be needing cash in the near term. And the near term could be within a year or two, or you know you have a big event coming, whether it's sending someone to college, whether it's buying a new house. You want to move to lower risk, so lessen the volatility of those investments because you might need to convert them to cash for whatever this event might be. Yeah, I have a pretty simple rule that any anything, any money that I think I might need in the next five years, it's not in the stock market. Anything that that is beyond five years that I think I'm going to need for retirement or for a very long-term project, yeah, fine, that money does go in the stock market. Is that reasonable? That is reasonable, and that's a great approach. I think that's a very that's a great example of taking your own mindset, your own risk tolerance, what am I comfortable with, and making sure that you've set aside what you're comfortable with. This is what I need to have to feel secure. I'm leaving that in cash. I'm not putting that in the stock market. And then taking the rest of it and saying, I've got a long-term horizon with this. If it goes down 5% this year, I can live with that because I know that over the five-plus years that it's in the market – 
I will most probably be above the level that I initially put in, and I'm comfortable with that volatility in the interim. Now, you talk about people planning for the long term, and you're a professional in this. Everybody's got certain regrets they have in their own investments. Do you have a particular decision you wish you'd made a different way? Oh, my gosh. I have those all the time. And I think it's because as a professional investor, when you look at stocks and I'm managing portfolios that have you know, hundreds of stocks across the portfolios that I'm advising on or looking at, you can always say that, could I have done that a little bit better? Could I have gotten the absolute top or the absolute bottom of owning the stock? And depending on where the price moved, could I have improved upon it? Almost always, there's a way to improve upon it. I think what you need to do is take a step back and remember that in the hundreds of stocks that you've looked at over the course of your career, as an institutional investor, a professional investor, you're not going to get them all perfect. Why, why are you passionate about your job? Why do you like being in this business of advising people on how to invest their money? Sounds, well, sounds I, a bit scary. <laughs> it, it, it can be a bit scary. Now, I'm in what I think is obviously because I'm doing it, the best part of the business where I'm actually doing the investing. And so for me, this is a terrific opportunity to learn something new every day. And for me also, this is truly investing, not trading. So when I take a position in a company, it's because I have a multi-year time frame and I understand the business and where I think management is going to take that business over time. It truly is feeling like I am a part owner of the company. No investor is right 100% of the time. And if they tell you that they are, they're lying. Miranda Schaefer. Susan, can you recommend websites or books for novice investors? You know, I think that websites are a great place to go. And I would say that really check the websites of the major retail brokerage houses. So things like Fidelity, Schwab, TD Ameritrade, those are all great institutions that have spent a lot of time and money putting out information that gives you the basic overview of the market. And it's free on their website, great place to look, and just get the basics down. Start to learn the terms, start to learn the fundamentals. They have all spent a lot of money investing in this to try and attract the retail public to come and think about investing. in. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods, for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Market. So let's look at solutions. But the first thing I want to do is is ask you whether you think that investing, at least the basics, the are a lot simpler th- than most people think. I really do. I think that CNBC, MSNBC, Bloomberg, this constant barrage of news makes it seem as if there's so much information, it's just overwhelming. And really, it's not that overwhelming. And the information... Again, when you're looking at it so closely, it seems like there's an overwhelming amount of data. But when you back up and look at it in bigger terms, longer time frames, trend lines, it's really not overwhelming. It's very simple. And I think if you can just understand the basic vocabulary, you'll realize that what people are talking about isn't all that complicated. It's actually common sense. So what are the important terms and concepts? People really need to think about Basic terms such as know the difference between a stock and a bond, a dividend. What is a dividend really? What does it mean? Where does it come from? That's the company's earnings. After it's it's paid all of its costs, it's paid its taxes, that dividend is a portion of the earnings that comes to the shareholder. Is it important to have a dividend? No, not every company does. And that's okay. Different companies do different things. Understand what the balance sheet cash flow, income statement. Those are all things that people will mention. They're related to the company's business operations and how you read the business and understand. But even if you individually don't know that, you can still get involved, can't you, by just picking two or three large, reputable mutual funds and starting off there. Most definitely. The vocabulary is really so that when you see the media on TV talking about it, as they're throwing out terms and phrases, you're not phased by that because you don't know what the phrases or particular words mean. But I do know and I've learned that there are different types of investments, whether it's domestic, international, developed economies, emerging economies, value or growth. These are all categories of investing. And you can learn that surface level of the categories. And then the other big word in investing, diversification. You want to be diversified across different areas so that you have some added stability to your overall return. Now, I know that one really important thing to do if you have investments, especially mutual fund investments, that that fees are an issue, that some have higher fees than others, that, that that's certainly worth watching out for. It is worth watching out for, and that's a big debate within the investment industry today. The lowest fee products are index products. They're ETFs. They mimic the index. So there's very little decision 
as to what actually goes in them because you're just copying what is in the pre-established index. So those are very low fee products. Higher fee products are mutual funds where there's active management involved. There's a team of individuals that is there picking particular stocks and instead of owning all 500 companies to match the S&P 500, they might only own 50 or 100 of those. Generally, a little added skill also gives you a little more stability because it takes out some of the deep variations when things drop. Now, so far, we've been talking about things that solutions that are geared towards individuals and what they can do in their investments. But you also have some thoughts about what companies can do to help their investors understand them and, and maybe take a little bit more of a long term perspective on um, on an investment in a particular company. Yes, and I think good companies do this. And investors are able to take a look at those financial statements, read commentary for management, and try to understand what's going on within the business. Managements come out and talk about what's going on in their business. And while they are peppered with questions frequently about what's going to go on next quarter, so what's the focus three months from now, instead, frequently, management will comment on that. But to me, good management teams take a step back and say, here's where we're going with the company and here's our five-year plan. This is what we're striving for. And I think managements who emphasize that in their communication are doing a real service to investors who are trying to invest for the long term and not focused on the interim quarter-to-quarter moves. Whether they're public or private, most employers do offer employees a chance to save through uh, tax-free 401k funds or other types of similar products. Is there something they can do to help their employees save better for retirement? Well, there's a lot that companies can do. So offering the 401k plans, these tax-deferred savings plans, is a great benefit to employees because it gives them a means to invest in the market. And again, tax deferred can be very helpful because it allows your non-tax dollars to appreciate over time and work for you before the tax portion of them is taken away. So you end up earning more over time. And I think what companies do best is when they provide those 401k savings plans along with the education and the information around it Again, this is another spot where you can go. A good company will give you the basics of rudimentary foundation in investing so that when you turn to your plan and you go to actually allocate your funds, you have that knowledge available to you and you can make your own decisions. And I would add that one of the best things a corporation can do for its employees in the very long term is to really talk to their youngest employees. I, I've always been amazed how many people that have worked for me over the years that are under the age of 30 who just think this is not a concern for them. Of course, I mean, you know the numbers on this. If, if they invested just a few dollars a week, you know, up oh, to the oh age my of 35 gosh, yes. and st then stop, they'd still do very well in the long term. The travesty is that you don't appreciate the time value of money when you're 20 and 22 and getting your first job. And instead, you think, well, I don't need it till later. The truth is that that $2, $5, $10 that you save and invest when you're 22 or 25 is far more valuable to you than that $2, $5, or $10 that you invest when you're 40 because it has all those extra years to work on your behalf.
Susan Schmidt, final question before we let you go, and that is um, ratings are important, aren't they? I mean, just the way when we go to a movie, we might look at the reviews, we might look at the ratings uh, when we're when we're shopping for products. You can do the same thing, can't you, with with mutual funds? There's a star system. Uh, oh, my goodness. Yes. That. And so this is this is great. And so if you like going to movies on the weekend, I'd love to use this example. When you go to movies on the weekend, you want to make sure you're seeing the best movie. You have a limited amount of time. You're going to spend some money and go to the theater. Which one do I want to see? So you might do research online. You're going to look up the plot lines. You're going to see what other people thought about the, the story. You're going to see what critics say. Well, I do the same thing, but I do it with stocks. And other people do the same thing, and they do it with mutual funds. So it's very easy investing that same amount of time that you do trying to figure out what movie to go to. It's the same type of research reading about mutual funds where there are critics out there commenting on them, saying the good, the bad, this is what I like, this isn't, this is what I didn't like. And, 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 you've, you can, and you've called Morningstar the, the rotten tomatoes. Of, of yes, the, the Morningstar system. is the equivalent of rotten tomatoes to movies. Morningstar gives stars to mutual funds telling you we think it's you know a one star, that's not great. Five star, that's great. More stars, the better. So that Morningstar ranking, it's just like rotten tomatoes. You're really doing the same thing. So there's no reason to be intimidated by it. You just have to think about it a little bit differently. Okay, final solution. You also feel there is a role for government to play here in keeping the market safe and and transparent. Talk to us a little bit about that. Well, one of the things that's really important when we talk about our 401k plan, remember that that's a government-sponsored vehicle. That tax-deferred status is because the government's granted that. They're encouraging you to save. At the same time, the market wouldn't be a good place to invest if it wasn't regulated, where you know that people are playing on an even playing field. There's no fraud involved. So it's like having regulation around a bank. Susan Schmidt, Senior Portfolio Manager at Westwood Holdings in Dallas. Thanks a lot for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. All right. Bye. Bye. Okay, Jim, so just before we get to the solutions, let's give a big thanks to people who've reviewed and rated us on iTunes. Yeah, yeah, it's just so gratifying. Here's a review. Kip Clark, he says, what a spectacular show, well-thought-out conversations, which were concise, entertaining, and informative. And he said, Richard and Jim have an excellent bond, which resonates both with guests and in their solo discussions. A true gem in a sea of podcasts. Now, you know, you may think I'm, nice. like, I'm cherry-picking these, but we've gotten some very nice feedback, and we really appreciate everyone who takes the time. But here's the thing. I'm greedy. I want even more. It, it fuels us. It, it's yeah. it's and that it's also, love that really helps this show helped. go forward. And for all of you to know, it really does help the visibility of, of the podcast. Discoverability is key in this world. And so, you know, anytime you take the effort to rate um, – our podcast, or really any product, you're really doing something that is meaningful. So wrapping up on Susan Schmidt, part of what we're hearing is is that kind of bedrock good advice. I always say it's kind of like 
when you take a ski lesson and they tell you to bend your knees. They tell you that every time, but it's always true. You still have to remember to bend them. On every turn. Yeah, and actually, I've been a, a trader in the past more than an investor, so I had to learn the lesson a bunch of times. And even now, when there are those really bad stock market days and I look at my 401k, I get a little jumpy. So this is something worth remembering day after day. What I found really interesting and I think meaningful is highlighting the way the media sometimes heightens the sense of panic. And and the media does that around a lot of issues. And I think it's something maybe as part of our podcast that we try to push back against is the sense of excessive panic or that, that every problem is veering out of control. And that's not always helpful in you know, helping our society understand where we are. I think there's a huge difference between the day's news and what really matters. And that's one of the things I love about podcasting is that these shows live. The way most people look at our shows is they go through a menu. And you may be listening to the show six months after you recorded it, and hopefully, hopefully it's still they're, relevant. They're, hopefully they're timeless. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I mean, we try and make them timely and timeless in that I, th- I think that the stuff that really matters in the world are things that matter as much today as they do three months from now. Right. Now, that said, it's not that Susan isn't saying just grab, buy a bunch of stocks and sit on them forever. She's talking about looking at how the different mutual funds are rated. Typically, a mutual fund does very well for a period of years and it beats the market. No one beats the market forever. But I think the really important thing is, and I've heard this from too many people after 2008, they, they ran for the hills. They got out of the market after it had gone down. Mm-hmm. And over the long term, in nearly every measurement, if you're in the stock market for 20 years, you're going to do better than if you put your money under a mattress or if you put it in a CD fund or if you even put it in bonds. Stocks outperform other sectors over the long term, and that's been the case for pretty much as long as the stock market's been going. Yeah. Another thing she said I thought was interesting is the role of government. You know, I'm more of the libertarian side of the equation here and skeptical of excessive government involvement, but some government involvement to keep the markets transparent uh, is important. And I think that uh, the fact that, you know, people have some confidence um, that, you know, that these, these companies have transparency in their actions is part of having an effective stock market. doesn't always work, but it, it works most of the time. Yeah, I'm a little less skeptical of government, especially when it's smart government. And I think that, that for instance, the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, needs to be constantly reviewing um, what's going on with the markets to make sure that uh, people aren't just getting rampantly ripped off. For instance, one of the things that Michael Lewis, uh, who we hope to get on in a future show, uh, has talked about in a couple of his books is the impact of high-frequency trading right. and how that can distort the market. So there is a role for regulators in the financial market. And his take is there is an insider group there that's benefiting unfairly. Here's my concern about the SEC, though. Typically, big brokers like that, they favor the insider groups. They They don't hold them at bay. They they actually empower them. So regulation, sometimes it works on the behalf of the little guy, 
all too often, it actually empowers the big guys. In the past few weeks and months, there's been a lot of talk about the markets potentially being overvalued. There have been big swings up and down. We've had more volatility in recent weeks. And that's really why we why we did this show, was to just remind people just to, to stay calm, because I think that all of us can, can use that lesson. And then the other thing I think Susan said, which is really important, is the entry level to the stock market and to savings, it's not as big a barrier as you might think. The way that the stock market is presented in the media is often aimed at mystifying people, uh, whereas the basics are pretty simple. Right. And as she said, any company that offers a 401k offers a, a reasonable way to invest in it that doesn't require more than, you know, a couple of hours of, of homework, if that, to get started. Yeah, and you don't have to be a gambler. Just start small, put the money in, say, an, a, a, a fund that tracks the S&P, the Standard & Poor's 500, and, and just leave it there for a year and, and review it. You don't have to be doing this stuff every week, every month, even necessarily every quarter. Her final point was that companies, too, can... can um, can do a lot to help encourage their employees to understand this and, and offer, you know, a good selection of services in terms of how they can invest in their 401k. So at every level, the individual, the company, the government, there's a, a role to be had here. Our show is How Do We Fix It? And it's produced by Miranda Schaefer, sitting at the desk with us, making sure we ask good questions. And Denise Barbarita is in the control room here at Mono Lisa Studios in Uptown Manhattan. And the music you're listening to is by Lou Stravinsky. How Do We Fix It is produced by Davies Content. We produce audio. We produce digital audio for businesses and nonprofits. Digital Thank- content. We produce digital content for businesses and nonprofits. Did I get it right? Yes. Okay, thanks. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. <laughs>